Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode three of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Tony Montgomery, an elite FTS teammate of mine. Tony studied and got his exercise sports science degree from Concordia University and is currently pursuing his master's degree at the University of South Florida. Tony's got his hands in just about everything. He owns a gym called Strength Union in the Portland, Oregon area. I highly suggest you check that out if you're in the area or if you're a strength sport athlete. He also owns an online coaching company called Team Phoenix Performance, where he helps trainees optimize their training and nutrition to get the most out of that so they can put together a PR performance. And he also owns a supplement company called Subject Zero Supplements. Tony's a competitive powerlifter where he's hit a 2,001-pound total in the 242-pound weight class. But he also served four years in the United States Marines, so we really want to give him a big thank you for his service to the United States. You can find Tony on Instagram at Tony Montgomery Jr. That's at T-O-N-Y-M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y-J-R. We've also got all the links and information for his website and services in our show notes. So that's Tony. Sit back and enjoy episode three of the Thirst for More podcast. Hey, Tony, this is Brenton. How are things going, man? It's going good. I appreciate you having me on your show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Um, so I know that you've got a very unique background. Um, you own a gym, you do online coaching, you got a supplement company, um, you got your hands kind of into everything. You're an awesome power lifter. Um, you know, you're a Marine, so you've got some really unique experiences behind your belt, not only from a strength athlete, but as a um, entrepreneur as well. So I, I kind of wanted to initially ask you um, what, from getting out of the Marines, what made you want to get into either the strength industry or online coaching, all the avenues you've got to, what kind of led you towards that route? Yeah, no. Um, when I was in the Marines, I was stationed with uh, 2nd uh, Recon Battalion, which is the uh, Marine Corps equivalent to their special forces or one of their special forces. They have uh, recon and they have force recon and I think it's all merged together now but I had the privilege of being around some of the uh, most elite people in the military and just kind of seeing how they trained and how they tried to optimize their their training and nutrition to um, make them the best that they could be whenever they go uh, in the fields and make sure that they're able to to do their job so I I got really fascinated with the idea of um, physical performance in order to become better at tactical uh, performance and kind of from there it just transitioned into more of the uh, strength training side more of the performance for athletes uh, side because doing my research I came across elite FTS I came across Joe DeFranco and they kind of shifted um, me more towards the sports performance side of things um, so while I was in the Marines I focused a, a little bit more on on reading that stuff because it does have some pretty good carryover because there wasn't a lot of uh, tactical um, articles, tactical research out there uh, in 2006 uh, when I was overseas in, in um, Fallujah. So a lot of it was just basic strength training uh, and then some athletic performance stuff with Joe DeFranco and just reading and getting like emerged in that. Uh, you, as you know, uh, being a sponsored athlete on Elite FTS, there's articles that you can read for, for days and days and years go by and you haven't read the same article twice. So I've really enjoyed the idea of continuing to learn, continuing to try to grow my knowledge of building performance athletes. And um, I had the idea of when I, when I got out of the military to try to continue to pursue some type of athletic endeavor. Uh, I tried to play a little bit of rugby, but um, unfortunately I have, I've had too many uh, concussions. My, my brain's very mushy. I can't do contact sports. Let, you know, so now it's like strength athletics and focusing on, on that. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of the driving force was just getting into learning how to perform better so that I can do my job uh, better in the military. And then from there it was like 
all that stuff you learned about being able to perform better, put that into trying to play rugby. And then uh, once I got done with, with rugby, I started doing strongman. So it was just a constant transition and learning uh, new and different things to evolve as an athlete, um, depending on whatever the sport is I was doing at the time. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, the Joe DeFranco stuff with the sports performance and the tactical, I mean, I definitely know now in 2020, there's obviously plenty more tactical information and I would say a lot of strength coaches are even looking into just doing that full time um, by itself because the standards are changing, which I, I think that it was long overdue that the standards needed to change um, oh, yeah. from what they were doing with the one and a half mile run and then the max sit-ups. At least it looks like there's getting some deadlifting and some other things like that. That's a little bit more specific probably to combat related, especially at the Marine level. Um, I'm for sure. So um, with the, once that got you into the, I hate to say like just meathead, because like you said, you were doing rugby and strongman. You had your, your hands and everything, it sounds like. Uh, what made you want to start doing the online coaching? And then once you did the online coaching, you know, how did that rocket into being a gym owner? So I know, I know I've seen pictures of your place and it looks awesome. Um, and then I've always heard nothing but phenomenal things from online coaching. That's actually how I first heard about you. Um, I think you actually had some stuff on Elite FTS, and I didn't know who you were at the time. And you know, I was—I think I might have been on Elite at that time. But I was like, man, he's got some really good nutrition stuff. And so I started reading a lot of your stuff on Elite. Um, and then, you know, what? So I guess what one you made you want to do online coaching? Because I definitely know I think you've been around it for quite a while. So I know you started early, probably compared to nowadays where everybody's an online coach. What made you want to go the online route? Um, versus the, say, in-person route. Yeah, so um, I actually owned a gym. Uh, when, when I got out of the military, I, I went to school uh, at Florida Atlantic University for exercise science. And while I was working on my degree, I, I opened up a gym down in, in Florida and uh, did a lot of personal training there, uh, trained a bunch of athletes and kind of, you know, sowed my roots in, in that for a good four years to get a lot of hands-on experience. Um, I definitely wouldn't recommend becoming an online trainer without any hands-on experience. I don't really see how that could be even something that would be possible, but I, I understand that that's the norm nowadays apparently, right. but yeah. <laughs> so, so I did do, I owned a gym. I, I did do a bunch of um, sports performance coaching and I also did some boot camps and general population stuff and uh, also some group training with strongman athletes and powerlifters. I did that for four years and uh, I think I just got inundated with the idea being in the military of like traveling and getting to see different cultures. When I went to Fallujah, it really opened my eyes to uh, a lot of things in terms of diversity, culture, and, and I wanted to continue to embark in that. So the idea of owning a gym um, doesn't really allow you to have that freedom because my idea of freedom is like I wanted to move to a state and lived there for like two or three years to learn everything about it and to kind of inundate myself with the culture and the people. So transition into online coaching just made sense to fit that type of lifestyle. Uh, it wasn't definitely wasn't easy at first uh, because it was a new kind of uh, job force, I guess you would say. And just getting that started was, was tough. It was, it was definitely a struggle leaving a a gym where I was making roughly six figures a year to now being an online coach, making like maybe a thousand dollars a month. Uh, yep. It didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't go very, uh, very good in the beginning because it was, it was so new and people didn't really understand um, the dynamics of it. They didn't really trust online coaches uh, yet. So it was, it was just a slow build, uh, but it was just more of a freedom thing. I just wanted to have the freedom to, do what I wanted to do to travel. And that's how I, I really got ingrained with, uh, with powerlifting and, and meeting some of the best lifters that allowed me to travel all over the state and train. I got to train with Dan Green and Andrew Herbert and Emily Hu, uh, all-time world record holders in California. I got to train with Jesse Burdick and um, Jeremy Avila and um, Tiffany and, and Mark Bell. And then I moved up to Oregon. I got to train with Chris Duffin and, and Sean Doyle and, you know, once I realized like I wanted to invest my time in powerlifting and learning from the best online coaching just made the most sense. Right. Right. And that the, especially whenever you started, I know you said it, it was a little bit hard to figure out the systems. Um, I know whenever I initially talked to Dave Tate about that, whenever I was going to start and it kind of started out of necessity because people were asking me to do it. And I was like, man, I've been a 
personal trainer for six years at this point. Like I'm used to working with people in person. I, I don't know a dang thing about doing the online stuff. Like, right. I can send you a program, but you know, how, how, how am I going to put the systems together? How am I going to make sure that the legality of it looks good? And then from a pricing structure, you know, the pricing structure is completely different versus personal training or sports performance training. And then if you've got, you know, like my gym's a semi-private gym. So, you know, the training looks relatively good, but you got multiple people in at one, at one session. Um, so that, that would definitely differ with Instagram. Now, you know, you've got that constant visual feed of the training and I think it gives a better report. So the, it's like I said, it's more accessible, I guess, and it's more tangible immediately once you've you've touched it with the Instagram thing. Um, from the from the online nutrition standpoint, what obviously people want to lose weight, you've got to cut some food back. You want to help them gain strength. You got to add some some calories in to that. I think that's kind of a no brainer. But what do you look when you're trying to help somebody change their composition or optimize their performance? Kind of what's your your step by step process and doing that either from like a assessment standpoint and then you deciding where to add calories where to take them away what uh i guess just the overall process say from day one somebody hits your inbox to let's say the the final product of somebody dropping some pounds and and going from say 20 percent to 12 percent body fat or so yeah it's mainly about energy balance is, is what it comes down to um, people always think about weight loss as you have to drop calories and that's the only way to obtain uh, a certain rate of weight loss, a certain physique. And then the same thing with um, trying to gain weight. They think is you just add calories and, and in so facto, you're going to start gaining weight. And the idea behind that is, you know, kind of not really thinking about all the things that go into what creates this energy balance. You have the thermic effect of food, you have your basal metabolic rate, you have your meat, um, which is a, a really big one that people don't really put a lot of uh, attention into. And then from there, it's just figuring out where their where their maintenance calorie is and determining their energy balance uh, based on that. So what I usually have them do if they don't know where their calories are at uh, within the consultation is I have them track for seven days and they'll track using the app that I, I like to use so they get comfortable with it. Uh, the app I like to use is Chronometer. It works really good because it also gives you your micronutrients as well. So you get to see all their vitamins that they're intaking. Um, so they can kind of see the holes in, in some of their food selections as well. Because you have a lot of people that are very much anti um, mixing things up with vegetables and different kinds of foods. Right. And then you look at their micros and it's like you're deficient in almost in almost everything yeah. that could be possible. Uh, so. So I have them track their food for seven days and then we take the average of those seven days and kind of build out their maintenance calories from there. Cause the, uh, the idea is to, if they're starting a weight loss journey to make sure that they're in a healthy spot to do that and metabolically healthy is what we're looking for here. Um, so you want to make sure that they have enough calories for you to pull from and for you to create that energy balance to start with. So if they're uh, a really light person, uh, this happens with females a lot you know, say they're trying, they're constant dieters and they're around 1200 to 1500 calories all the time. That's not a good place to, to start a diet because that has to be reduced somehow. Um, but they're already running so low on calories and their basal metabolic rate is already so low. They're in this dieting phase for so long that you're not able to create that energy balance that you're looking for. Um, so if they're in a good spot from there, We'll take their calories, whatever there it is for maintenance, and we'll do a 15% reduction or a 15% increase depending on what they want to do, if they want to gain weight or, or lose weight. And then um, that'll kind of start them on their trajectory for the diet. And then we'll also set some, some markers up for uh, NEAT, uh, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's really like the idea of like what you do when you're not exercising. A lot of people think, I, I went to the gym today, I'm good, so I'm just going to sit at home and watch TV, and they don't move, and they have like 200 steps the whole day, and that was just for them walking to their car and walking to, to get the food out of the fridge. Um, so you want to make sure that their their NEAT levels are, are at a sustainable rate that correlates with their energy balance so that you don't take away so much food in the, in the very beginning. So the idea is to say maybe have them start off at – 5,000 steps a day, reduce their calories by, by 15%. And then you have a bunch of things to play with as you continue to reduce uh, their, their energy balance. You can increase their NEAT levels. You can add in cardio. Uh, you can you know do things with their diet, manipulate it. The idea 
is to lose between anywhere from um, one to two percent of their body weight a week uh, and that's kind of the idea behind what the science has shown as far as like an ideal rate of weight loss in order for you to maintain as much muscle mass as possible while you're dieting uh, but that's kind of the idea is to start them off with as high as calories as possible uh, get their neat levels in, in a good spot and start them off with zero cardio so that we have a lot of like tools to, to pull from in, in the toolbox because once you start people off with an extreme diet and then they're doing an hour cardio a day and they hit that plateau you have to be able to create energy balance somewhere else so you're going to start them off and yeah they'll make great results in the very beginning but then they'll plateau in four weeks and you have nowhere else to go so the idea is to create as many opportunities to to pull from to give them as much time as possible in that energy uh, balance deficit and then kind of the same thing uh, based on the research is shown that if you're trying to gain weight slow and steady is the absolute best way to do it you're thinking about maybe like 200 to 300 calorie surplus uh, and that's kind of the the rate of, of gain you want to have they've done a study where they compared a group of people that were doing 200 to 300 calorie surplus to a group of people that were doing five to six hundred calorie surplus and the group that was overeaten with the extra calories they just got fatter they didn't actually put on more muscle so that's that's not necessarily where you want to be in any athletic endeavor maybe back in the day when uh, geared lifting was popular uh, having a little bit of extra body fat wasn't that big of a deal but now within any strength sport within any athletic endeavor you want to have the most amount of lean body mass as possible uh, in order to um, you know, perform at a, at a high level and a competitive level. So the idea is just slow and steady on, on both ends of the spectrum, which is not, uh, is not sexy. It's not something that you're, you can sell really well. Those 30 day challenges sound really cool to people and I've done them before. And I found that when people think of weight loss in a 30 day challenge phase, they also uh, start to build eating disorders. They also start to build this idea of instant gratification. And if things don't go the way they want it to. They just quit and go back to their bad habits. And 30 days isn't really an, a great way to build um, positive habits anyway. So those challenges sound great, but it's 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 a very much a methodical long-term approach in order for you to be successful in nutrition. Right. That that is really really big, especially the 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 neat principle. I think most definitely. I know personal training clients, probably 99% of personal training clients don't even, they don't know what that is, but they don't even think about how much they move outside of the gym or if they go out for a walk or whatever it is. They don't really think about what they do outside of that. And when I know whenever I talk to, especially the female population that comes into the gym, I say, if you, if you find yourself sitting down for 20 or 30 more minutes, just get up and go do something. I don't know if it's like, you know, you go vacuum or, you know, you go take the dogs for a brief little walk or you go check the mail or, you know, you do something, just get up and, and keep moving. And I'm not big on, um, some people ask me about like their Apple watches and tracking their, their calories they burn that way. And I tell them, not it, you know, not efficient and not necessarily accurate, but if you're going to do anything, just use it to count the steps and let that guide yep. of how much you use for the day. Like that's probably the number one piece of data that you're getting from that that works really well. And so we try to get some of the females in the gym to connect with each other so that they can compete on those those steps, so to speak. I'm like, I don't worry about the calories, but if you can keep moving, that's that's absolutely great. And um, that that makes our jobs easier as well because I mean, we provide the the strength conditioning aspect of your training program and even the mobility aspect, like that's easy, two or three days a week, that's that's all you really need, but you've gotta, like you said, you gotta move and kinda eat towards your towards your goals, and it's never sexy when people say, hey, I wanna lose these love handles, what do I do? And it's like, you gotta figure out how much you're eating, and then you gotta pull back a little bit, and then you just reassess every couple of weeks, and, you know, does the scale continue to go down? If it's not, we need to make a change. If it, if it is, then then you're, you're good, um, and that, that is a very hard sell from a gym owner and personal trainer standpoint because you know oh, yeah. that the two or three hours that you get them, you know, you might rock it. You might be really good at what you do and give them a good workout, but those extra 23 hours of those days plus the 24 hours that are outside of your realm can really hurt your ability and that, that quick selling to the 30-day challenges. We don't do anything like that, but yeah. um, we, we kind of roll off some commitment base to try to make sure people – gut it out for the long run and I, yeah. we kind of you have some clients that have lost like 40 50 pounds or like you know this person That's committed amazing. to a year 
that's not ironic that their weight loss has you know went that route. They've had to buy in and give it some time, and, right. and it all works that way. And the slow and steady pace is absolutely true. Right. True and too. on on top of the the neat stuff too, a lot of the research shows that as you start to get in that any uh, that that energy balance deficit, you your energy in terms of your day to day activity decreases dramatically. So if you're not tracking that you're going to feel like you're doing the same amount of work that you used to do when you had a bunch of calories but it, it diminishes significantly every time you reduce your calories so it's good to to track that to make sure you know if you start a diet with 5000 steps a day you want to make sure you're at least ending with 5000 if not if not more the idea is to hopefully allow them to lose as much weight as possible without adding in a bunch of cardio that way their performance stays high because, you know, most of the people I deal with are performance athletes. So we never want their performance to, uh, you know, decrease in order for them to, to lose weight. Uh, so everything we do is so much based on performance. Plus if, if you're in the gym and you're, and you're hitting repetition PRs while you're training and dieting, that's telling me that you're able to keep as much muscle mass, if not put on a little bit of muscle mass, um, because you can't hit PRs without actually adding um, a bunch of tissue if you're a well-trained athlete. Obviously, if you're new to the sport, you can add uh, a bunch of pounds through just neural adaptation. And then, you know, like you were saying, the hardest thing to do is you get these clients that are, are constant dieters and they come to you wanting to lose weight and you have to tell them, no, that's not the, that's not the goal. Um, you know, you've been dieting for a year on 1,200 calories. We need to get your calories up. And then to communicate that to them and have them buy into that and understand like you're at a very unhealthy place right now physiologically and probably psychologically we need to increase your calories you're not going to lose weight right away um might be six months of increasing calories and you know that's a hard pill for for a lot of people to swallow who are constant dieters but you know if they're if they've been dieting for a very long time i always i generally try to have people do blood work um most people are okay about it a lot of some some aren't but if they're constant dieters i always make sure i won't work with them unless they get blood work done because i want to see where everything's at i want to see where their thyroid's at i want to see where their hormones are at. i want to see where where everything's at in order to make an intelligent decision on what to do and it also gives me like some concrete evidence to be like hey look this is where everything's at in your body right now because you've been dieting for a year uh and you're on you know a thousand calories uh, those are not good markers. You know, now if we build up your calories and we, we get you stronger and get you performing better, those blood markers are going to look a lot better. And then that kind of helps with the buy-in too. So it's just constant communication and making sure that they know that you're in it for their best interests uh, and, and nothing more. Right. Yeah. The, the, the chronic dieters, we, I mean, working with, we work with mainly 10 to 17 year old kids. I would say it's probably 70 to 80% of our population that we work with and communicating that with the 13 and 14 year old girl that, oh, yeah. that maybe like we, I would say the majority of our girls, when they come in, they they're skeptical at first, but then when they get that confidence boost and they start moving weights that they had no idea they could move. Cause you know, they see a 60 pound dumbbell and they're like, that's really heavy. But then when you goblet squat it for a set of eight to 10, it's like, you know, you can move that weight. You just got to move it with the right exercise selection. I don't expect you to be able to dumbbell bench the 60s of the 14-year-old girl, but, you know, right. I want to get you to squat it. So when that confidence comes that we start to start talking that nutritional talk because we realize that some kids are like, you know, I just go to the smoothie place and get this soy protein thing that's got whatever in it that's whatever, a big, yeah. <laughs> big sell, and then that's pretty much all they have for the day, and I'm like, uh, or, hey, I had chicken fingers at lunch, and that was my protein, and I'm like, Come on, you're you're running five six miles a day for cross country. You 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 need more than just some chicken tenders. Right. You got to get that that relationship with food improved, and that's that's very. I will say that I'm very blessed to have my wife be a trainer and coach and co-owner because she can have that conversation with the girls way yeah. easier than oh, I can. Yeah. And that probably has been, in hindsight, one of the best things that's ever happened for the gym is having a male and a female respected coach always available for regardless of what the situation is. Cause I'm like, Hey, this girl's got some eating stuff. That's, that's you. She's going to listen to you. She's not going to listen to the meathead. Um, right. and same thing with the parents too. They're like, okay, that's a girl that strength chains and my girlfriend or my wife, I'm sorry, has got a really good, uh, grasp on understanding that she needs to eat to improve performance, especially with everything she went through the past year. 
uh, with her cancer and stuff, she definitely understood what it was like to have oh, yeah. where you don't want to eat anything, but that that relationship with the food is important. You still got to try to put some food down even when you don't feel like it. So that's really, really good. Yeah, like that's that. awesome, man. That's so important to have that conversation with uh, younger female athletes, um, even younger male athletes that are in weight-restricted sports to be able to start building that relationship with food. Because as adults, that's what I always see the most is people have such a negative relationship with food that you have to like dig into that so much more than you actually have to dig into the, the diet side of things. The psychological side of food is so much harder to deal with. And the fact that you guys are focusing on that at such a young age is, is absolutely amazing, man. It's, it's a credit to, to what you guys are doing because that's some of the most important stuff that can set these people up for a healthy um, psychological viewpoint of their body, uh, food performance for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was the gym ownership side of thing. Um, almost being two years in gym ownership myself, I definitely know the, the struggles there. Tell me and the listeners a little bit about strength union. How did that come about? What is your, you know, target population? Uh, where are you guys located? Um, and, and all of that kind of good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, strength union is in Portland, Oregon. It's mostly a strength athletics gym, mostly powerlifting. Uh, we don't necessarily disclude people if they're not powerlifters. Um, but that's kind of the way the gym's built out is to, is to do it more so in the idea of promoting uh, strength athletics and, and powerlifting, which a lot of people would tell you that that's not a good business model. And, um, and I would, I would tend to agree with them. Uh, depends on, on your business model, right? Like the idea of, I, I had a gym in Florida when I lived there and I did a lot of the private coaching. I did a lot of the stuff myself, very hands-on. Um, but now with the gym that we have, because we have a bunch of different streams of revenue coming in, we pretty much opened the gym to not necessarily be the main emphasis of our income, but it gives us a lot of room to film content. It gives us a lot of room to do other things, to grow other parts of our businesses. So it's, it's definitely not what I would consider what I would tell people as a great business model in terms of if that's your only source of income, this is what would generate the most uh, revenue for you to do it in. But it's a, it's a 24 seven open access gym. Uh, we do no, personal training or no coaching out of there. If we're training while you're training, we'll coach you up and we'll help you out. And if you're new a lifter or you're new to strength training and we can just tell you have no clue what you're doing, we'll help you out. That's not a problem, but it's not a, a gym built on personal training. It's not a gym built on any type of um, training income. It's just mostly 24 seven access. Um, not, like I said, that's definitely not the business model I would promote for people. But if you do have an online business, if you do have an educational business where you're trying to educate people, uh, then I think having a gym like that and you're making money off of that education aspect is, is a nice way to do things because it frees up a lot of time for you to focus on, on other stuff as well and make a little bit of extra money uh, with a gym like that. But if, you're, if that is your business model, don't expect to to make a lot of money. Um, mostly just try to break even and, and make a little bit, uh, but make sure that you have other means of, of income. Uh, but I, I definitely enjoy it. I enjoy seeing everyone um, train to get stronger. We've had several people call us up and be like, oh, do you guys have any cardio equipment? Like we have a sled and we have an Aerodyne bike if that's what you want for cardio equipment. They're like, no, I don't I don't really think this is a, the right gym for me. And I'm like, oh man, that's that sucks, you know, because. I think the idea of, of training and, and getting stronger is, is the best way to, to look at going to the gym um, because that's the best way to improve body composition. That's the best way to improve, uh, you know, empowerment and, and the psychological side of things. And uh, so that's kind of where, where we're at with, with what we're trying to, to build here in Portland is just the idea that, that strength is, is more important than cardio in terms of if you had to pick one or the other and that it's a little bit more rewarding too. And, you know, it's, it's something that can build a lot of confidence, a lot of self-confidence because you're training with a purpose where most people that go to gyms, uh, they don't really train with, with much of a purpose. So it's a, it's a smaller gym, 2200 square foot, uh, but we, we pack it out and, and we have a lot of really, really good people that are, are making PRs every single time they're allowed to train. And, and we're really, really happy about that. 
Yeah, I'm, we have, it's like, so we're mainly semi-private. We do have like a membership option on top of it, which we, um, we, we price pointed higher than everybody else in the area to filter that out to where you don't have people just looking for cardio or whatever. Which, Smart, like yeah. I said, you don't, we don't have any, we've got a rower, we've got a, we got an Airdyne bike and like we've got sleds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's pretty. I think that's it. Yeah, we don't have. We, I know we don't have any treadmills, so we got maybe four pieces of stuff that you could even potentially do steady state aerobic work on. And I, we do it the same way. We get phone calls. Hey, you guys, any treadmills or electricals? No, but yeah. you know we've got twenty five yards of turf and we've got sleds and prowlers and you know uh, rowers and stuff. Like you can get a if if you don't want to lift weights, you can still get a really kick ass workout with stuff that yeah, we have. But you know, sure. some people don't want to have that ingenuity. They don't want to. They don't want to think about it. They just want to be able to go stand on something, move for 20 minutes, and come back. And right. that's done a good job of kind of weeding that out. Because I know when we did open, trying to get the athletes in was probably one of our biggest things because we were kind of new with that. But me having a powerlifting background, people were like, oh, I have a powerlifting gym. I'm like, no, we're not a powerlifting gym. We're actually a right. performance center. Just the owner happens to have a background in powerlifting. And, you know, Elite FTS outfitted our gym. So, you know, we've got nice decked out equipment that if anybody knows what Elite FTS is – they kind of insinuate that with powerlifting as well, just with Dave's background. And uh, it took us a little bit of time to get out of that powerlifting rut. Right. Um, but I think once we, the parents started to realize, okay, like, yeah, there's legitimate performance-based stuff in there. There's there's some really cool stuff in there. And then our the powerlifters that we do have generally have that athletic background, and they tell the kids all the time, this is so good for you to be doing. I'm so happy to see you in here. Or they'll trash talk with them if they start getting that relationship and yeah, yeah. that was the one thing that I was a little iffy about doing was putting the open membership with the semi-private together but it ended up being one of the best things from an environment standpoint because yeah. kids get an idea of what strongly looks like they hear about their grandpa that used to bench plate three plates and it's like hey there's a 210 pound kid over there squatting 650 for a double with just knee sleeves like right. that is strong they right. know that's strong. And now we're at the point where our kids are like, oh, great, that guy's squatting six plates for reps. Not a big deal. Like, just another day. Yeah. And that I really like that the kids get the get that because, you know, they're going to hear from their friends, oh, look, I bench placed one plate. And they're like, you know, that's that's warm-up material, man. Like, And I, I really like that that has happened. Um, so I really like that you guys got that. I really wish that we could have, you know, just a powerlifting even section. But um, our area is very – I don't want to say small because there were only 60,000 people in our area, but just right. strength sports in general around here are, are not, I don't want to say prevalent, but they just, they're so watered down. Nobody really knows what is what. Nobody knows the difference between weightlifting and powerlifting. They yeah, just know, Hey, sure. can I, can I do bodybuilding stuff with their machines? And I'm like, you don't really need that to be a good bo- bodybuilder. Go look at the old school guys from the sixties and seventies and they will tell you, you don't need that stuff. Right. Um, I mean, so. you bring up a good point, man. Like the idea of having a powerlifting only gym and that being your source of income, it's not going to, it's not going to go well, whether it's a, whether it's a, a gym centered in California or Ohio where power in Texas, where powerlifting is, is huge. Uh, you, you have to, because, because we're strength athletes are cheap, man. Like, we don't spend a lot of money on stuff. We have the same shirts that we probably got for free at competitions, and that's all we wear. Uh, we're not going to spend money on personal training. You know, we're going to ask a bunch of stuff and expect it for free because uh, that's just the way that's just the yeah. way we are as strength athletes. Um, so if you are if you are a powerlifter wanting to create a gym that is is very sustainable and that's actually a business you have to do what you're doing with the semi-private training. It may not have to be necessarily with the athletic population, um, but you have to be semi-private. You have to be doing that stuff because that's where, that's where the money comes from. That's where you start to make real money within the industry in terms of a, a business perspective. Uh, but I love, I love the powerlifting community and that's what you guys are doing too. Like you're building that community and in a place that is not necessarily um, known for its strength community, you guys are starting to build that and it's just kind of fostering down to the kids and then they're seeing that and they'll be able to pass that along. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing I've learned when it comes to this type of stuff with uh, building a gym or building a brand or, or anything is the community is the most important. That's what we learned from CrossFit, right? Why is CrossFit so successful is because if you ever met someone that does CrossFit, they're going to tell you how awesome CrossFit is yep. and 
you're eventually going to go do it with them. And then when it's a class of 30 people, you have this sense of like, I better show up with my guys. I better show up with my crew. I don't want to miss a workout because maybe they'll get better. Like it has this competitive component to it, but it also has this tribal component to it as well. And from a business perspective, like that's what you always want to shoot for. Um, and that's what you want to manifest uh, from the very beginning. And that just requires you to be true to who you are and true to what you're trying to build and, and not try to reach out to everyone. Cause that's a big issue that a lot of gym owners have is they try to, you know, they realize maybe the idea that I built in the beginning isn't necessarily going to pay the bills. So now let me just try to reach out to everyone and get everyone involved. And it's like, that's not, that's not what you're going to do as a small business owner. You got to have a niche. You got to have something that differentiates you from the, from the other people in order for you to be successful. Yeah. And based that basically kind of summarizes what I tell um, our interns that we get is that exclusivity sells to be exclusively in something that not everybody either wants to be a part of or either is not willing to sacrifice to be a part of. So, you know, like I said, we're a little bit more expensive. Some people don't want to pay that extra $15 a month membership rate to come here. That's fine. Then you're not going to get access to the community and the tribal aspect you said, or, you know, they're, they're slightly intimidated that, that, that you have to be strong to walk in here. That's 100% not true. But then on the other side of the coin, you get the people that are like, you know, that, that gym has too many strong people. Um, I don't feel like I'd fit in. No, if you would come, you know, the 135 pound bench presser is going to get to work in with the four 450 pound bench presser. Right. And if you want to pick his mind, it's there to do that. And that that exclusivity aspect is way more valuable than watching the YouTube video of anybody benching five or six hundred exactly. pounds raw. I mean, yeah, it's cool to see that, but and they might give you some tips, but they can't fix you in real time. Or like, if you're willing to pay that extra twelve or fifteen dollars a month, and you get to bench with that five hundred pound bencher, or be in the same or the rack next to him, you know, at least in our community, everybody's very helpful, and that's usually yeah, probably the 100%. case in ninety percent of gyms that are strength based and performance based, anyways. And like, you don't get that when you go to your twenty four hour anytime no. fitness gym at yeah. all. That's the thing, man. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the biggest hurdles you have to overcome as a strength training gym or a sports performance gym is it's intimidating to a lot of people. And the great thing about it is we use social media to kind of kill that off. We'll show a lot of our um, female clients or a lot of our beginner um, athletes. I don't want to say clients because they're not clients, athletes that come to the gym and train. We'll post them all over our social media so people can see like, okay, it's not because we have Sean Doyle trains at our gyms, one of the strongest guys in the world, you know, a 2,400 pound total that can be pretty intimidating to walk into. And then you have two monoliths and you have all these squat racks, you know, that could be intimidating for, for a lot of people to walk into um, because it, you know, you have this bad reputation of, you know, maybe like some of these type of gyms are kind of douchey. They have a lot of guys who lift with their shirts off or power lifters are, are quiet and, you know, they don't want to talk to anybody or, you know, you have to be a certain level of strength to lift here. So let me go lift at 24 hours first so I can get stronger. Then I'll come to your gym. And so social media has helped us out a lot with that, being able to showcase some of our newer lifters, you know, hitting PRs of like, hey, I started off with the bar and now I'm doing 95 pounds. And we'll showcase that to make sure people know that, hey, this is a gym for, for beginners as, as well. And, you know, that's a great point you brought up from a business aspect is like you're going to have to overcome a lot of um, opinionated people that judge gyms based on on what they see uh, you know within the website or what they hear about how strong you are and it's your job to communicate effectively I mean that's what a great coach is that's what a great business person is the idea of being able to communicate with individuals uh, and making sure that you're able to constantly meet their needs and listen to them and that's a, that's a big one too, right? For business owners, you have people call in and talk to them and, or one-time consultations, they'll come in and you'll sit there and you'll just like continue to talk over them and tell them what your program will do for them. And you'll never let them talk and listen and figure out what they really need because you think that your program is just so much better than what they actually think that they need. Um, and that happens a lot with businesses. You, you tend to uh, not really respect the the clients uh, when it comes to the, the training business and stuff like that. So just open-ended communication, being able to showcase the idea that your gyms for beginners all the way to advanced lifters, I think is, is a great way to, to knock off some of those um, fundamental ideas of, of what a strength training gym is. Right. And that, that communicating aspect you just brought up that, 
I think it's overlooked a lot. Oh, big time. Uh, I, I talk whenever I was talking with my wife and then our, our current employee, Andrew, when he was an intern at the time, and then we have a new batch of interns that will start. Well, now they're allowed to open. <laughs> we'll right. hopefully have them start by the end of the month. That will be the plan. We have interviews this, this coming week because uh, we knew we were going to have to probably be closed to some extent. But anyways, we tell them that, you know, if you're going to ask questions, ask them what they look for. And then when they say, you know, I want, especially from a sports performance, like, they want my kid to jump faster or jump higher and run faster. And we're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And they're like, you know, what, what makes you want to, what makes you want to come to thirst to do that? And they're like, Oh, well, I hear that you guys have a good environment. Okay. That's great. And then you ask them, you know, what, what have they done? Um, I try to always ask what or why and let them kind of guide me what, what, not what they want, but I try to make them talk themselves into the cell without me having to even saying you need this. Cause you might right. say, you know, Johnny, you know, needs to jump higher. Okay, well, let's put him through our assessment. And we say, you know, here's what his vertical was. Here's what his um, broad jump was. And we're like, well, these are kind of on par numbers. So what made you think that he needs to do this? And like, well, so-and-so's kids coming here and they're on the same team. So, you know, you're you're competing for um, playing time. And like, okay, so that's what we, we have a competitive environment that is good. So I try to tell them that, you know, ask why and the and why and what more so than anything else first like you know we have this service this service or we can do this no ask them what they want and then tell them what we do and how that applies because a lot of people think you know are you guys going to do jumps and throws and and all these dynamic correspondence based movements absolutely we'll do some of that but if your kid can't do a bodyweight squat we got some way bigger underlying foundations that we need to get to and so i want them to be able to communicate that the why is that we need to improve movement proficiency, and exactly. then when that's when that's communicated well, and they watch their kid move better, and then when they go to jump and their knees don't hit each other, hey, now we have a more efficient athlete. Guess what? You're probably going to jump higher, and you didn't necessarily do these crazy jumps and throws. And so, that from a communicating standpoint, I'm glad you brought that up because that's probably one of the most difficult things with parents because they see what you do on social media, and they watch the kids throw the med balls and do the jumps, and that stuff looks great. But what they don't see is the 80% of stuff when they're doing their, their split squats, their pull-throughs, right. their glute bridges, their, you know, their pallet holds, like all these exercises that don't look sexy. But really that's kind of where the bread and butter is, and you got to kind of sell them into that, yeah. so to speak, and make sure that they yeah. understand why that is important on top of their, their underlying issues that they're bringing forward right. to you. Yeah, you have to overcome a lot of insecurities and fears that, that people have, right? A good example of that would be if someone comes to your gym and they ask you, oh, do you guys do like cardio kickboxing? And you're like, no, we don't, we don't necessarily do that. What do you, you know, what do you love about cardio kickboxing? Like, I just love the feeling I get afterwards that I'm sweating and I'm breathing heavy and like, oh, okay, well, we can do that for you too. We have you know, this great conditioning class that we do that's more sports performance based, but it's going to leave you feeling that way. Just try it out for free for the first time. You know, overcoming these obstacles is, is what you have to do as a, as a business owner. They're going to have reasons for not signing up. Everyone's going to have a reason for not doing it. It's your job to be able to overcome those things by listening to them and giving them exactly what they want. You may not be able to provide the service that they want, but you can answer those questions and tell them, hey, you're still going to be able to get a good workout in and it's actually going to be probably better for you and, and this is this is why. And it's just that constant idea of educating them but not making them feel like they don't fit in or, or they don't belong or that they're stupid. It's that, you know, when you, when you try to educate people, you can come off as condescending sometimes. So you want to make sure that there's a, a fine line and, you know, reading communication books uh, – especially as a coach, uh, Brett Bartholomew has a great book, Conscious Coaching, where it talks about communicating with a bunch of uh, athletes and stuff like that. And just that to me is what makes a successful coach is the ability to communicate with individuals on an individual basis, not to communicate on a grand scale with individuals um, when they, they, everyone's different, right? You may be an introvert. You may have an extrovert and introvert training together. You have to understand how to communicate to them to make sure it's a, it's effective. So, you know, the idea of becoming a strength coach and reading a bunch of strength books and you can name all the Russian authors in the world that you've read, none of that means shit in, unless, unless you can communicate. How many communication books have you read? How many psychology books have you read? How many books have you read about understanding 
why we do things and, and how to build habits. Those are like the most important things for a coach. You know, you can be the smartest strength coach in the world. If you can't communicate, you're going to have an empty gym every single time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good segue for my next question uh, about you pursuing your master's degree at um, University of South Florida. Um, I'm the same way. I mean, I have a master's degree, so I can I can kind of relate with that science. And I understand what happened to do that and how, how you hope to use that to make you understand the science better or even better sift through the BS that some people right. kind of claim, you know, that you can actually read a scientific or scientific journal or article and take the the important aspect of and be like, hey, well, this showed this, but the study wasn't exactly laid out the best as something that's realistic. You know, you might show that improved, for example, improved quad strength might, um, you know, protect the knee, but if they're doing 10 reps on a leg extension, that maybe not be the best way to go about about doing that. But if you understand, if you can build that, that muscle, that it might help you to some extent. So the science aspect of it, um, tell me a little bit about your master's degree that you're getting at USF and then what you hope to, how you hope to use that on top of everything that you're doing to, to continue helping others with your clients and your gym and, and continue to get better as a coach. Yeah, definitely. What, what you said was great because the idea of learning how to read article journals, because that, I mean, evidence-based training is so popular now uh, within our community, but a lot of people just post abstracts and they, they don't really understand how to read and uh, conceptualize what the actual study is showing you, where the faults are, where the limitations are. So that's that's one of the reasons is to to go to the grad school. Um, the school that I'm going to conducts their they're very heavy into research. So they do a long-term research project in the fall, and then they do a short-term research project in the spring every year. And they have um, muscle hypertrophy clinic, and they also have a um, nutrition lab. They they have a focus on physique enhancement and strength conditioning. And um, so that's kind of the, the main idea is to, to go there to continue to, to grow my knowledge base. The ultimate goal is to, to get my PhD and to, to teach because I had a teacher at Florida Atlanta University who was a, a power lifter and he was a professor and he really shaped the way I thought outside. Like he made me think outside the box. He, he didn't just feed me answers. He made me like search for him and continue to, to learn and um, grow that process of, of learning instead of just relying on him. And he changed the way I looked at education. And I want to be able to do that for, for other people. You know, I've been to uh, enough schools. I've been to through four colleges through traveling. It's not a good idea to pursue degrees while, while traveling because you have to start over every single time. <laughs> but nonetheless, you get to meet all these professors and some of them are great and some of them just go through the motions. And uh, kids pay a lot of money to go to school and I want to be one of those professors that is able to to not only have the anecdotal side of things but also have the the background in the science and the research and um, hopefully one day have my own lab to do my own research in and to continue to, to further grow strength athletics within the science community uh, is, is the ultimate goal and to be able to give these students some new things to think about you know I've been through so many classes where they're using outdated you know books that were, that were done in 1980s that like have no relevance and they don't use any of the new science or the new things that are, are coming out and it's just you know the, the idea of outside the box thinking is not something that you see a lot in education and that's something that I want to promote as much as possible the idea of um, open-ended communication not that I'm the teacher and you're the student but that we're all learning from each other and uh, and that's really the biggest driving force of, of wanting to go back to school and to continue to pursue that so I can teach and, and have my own lab and, and do my own research. And, and that's the eventual goal. Um, and hopefully I'll, I'll have all that done, PhD and everything uh, within the next four to five years. That's great. The, the industry as a whole needs more people like that because I definitely know with my undergrad there was – uh, maybe one or two TAs, one yeah, one of them that I actually went to work with for a little bit, um, that he was very heavy in uh, weightlifting, so he was very good at weightlifting, understanding that. There was a TA that I connected with relatively well, um, and that was kind of somebody I latched onto a little bit. And then in grad school, I had an Olympian rower as a neuromuscular physiology professor that I gravitated to a lot because he understand understood the science but at the same time he was 
he knew how to train. You're not an Olympic level rower right. without understanding having to, you know, bust your ass. You know, who cares what study says? He's going to do what the coach says to get that to get on that medal or try to get on that podium. Exactly. Um, and that that was somebody that I gravitated towards. And the it amazes me now that I because I own a gym and I'm seeing interns on essentially a a trimester based because we do a fall, a spring, and a summer. So mm-hmm. you know, we have three opportunities to th- see three different groups of interns and we get most of ours from the same university we do have one this summer that's applied that's from illinois so i'm really excited to branch out a little bit um, and see what they're kind of learning in their academic setting but it blows my mind that we get a lot of kids that have they they don't know what elite fts is they they don't know who uh, vershansky is they don't know who louis simmons is they don't they don't know um Brad Schoenfeld, you know, some of these names, it's like, if you really want to be in this industry, it's not that you have to know who these people are, but you should understand that the, the, the body of work that these individuals have done, maybe not necessarily, I mean, Brad's obviously academic, but somebody like Louis Simmons is obviously not necessarily doing academic studies, but the way that he looked at training and applied that to one string sport and how that's used in everything, whether it be powerlifting or strongman or sports performance or any kind of endeavor like he popularized that system and you should be at least familiar with it you may not have to know every nuts and bolt but if someone drops louis simmons's name down and you're a junior senior getting ready to round out your bachelor's degree in uh, exercise science or a related field like i i'm a little concerned because like you said you're being taught to just follow that book and then if you can pass the exam and get an a or a b and you know have your good decent gpa then you know you can either go get a job to train people or work in a fitness facility or maybe go to grad school but we need that uh, we need the the educated side but we also need the practical side and for students to see that from someone like you in the next four to five years is what's going to help change the fitness industry for the for the better without a doubt but also just make that to be more of a popular idea that you you can be strong and you know, being able to think outside the box, outside these these textbooks that you're just learning from, that there are other texts out there that you're not available to or not distributed in your your course calendar, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. It's it was funny. I went when I was up in Ohio. I went to Westside and got to talk to Louie, and he's he's so adamant. Like, I wish Ohio State would come out here and do studies on on, on all our stuff. He's like, I they they came out here and did studies. I would my, my life would be complete because I would be able to vindicate everything through through science because Ohio State has such a huge um, exercise science program out there. That's one of the places I was looking at uh, for for my grad school. There's another place too where they won't take you on as a PhD uh, student unless you compete in some type of sport. And I think that's important for a lot of exercise science people is to have that competitive edge and to know what it takes to be a competitive athlete and. Um, you know, I understand not everyone in exercise science wants to do sports performance. They also have cardiovascular uh, stuff, um, pulmonary stuff. You know, they have there's people that want to fix sick people. But if you're wanting to be a performance athlete, I, I agree with you. You should definitely learn um, outside of what your curriculum is. I think we get, you know, one of the things that always blows my mind when I do job interviews with people trying to, to work for me is I'll ask them, you know, what do you, what have you done for continuing education? What's the last book you've read uh, since college? And they never have a good answer. And it's like, man, the idea of not like reading and having a bunch of books on hand to learn from some of the best minds in the world just, just, just makes me scratch my head. Like, well, what do you do with your free time? Like, what are you doing to become better? And they think once they have their degree, like, that's it, man. I don't need to do anything else. Like, no. The degree just gets you in the door. You don't know. You don't learn anything from college, or at least now, you know, with a bachelor's degree, that just gets you in the door. You have to learn so much after that to become a, a better coach. So the idea that people aren't trying to further their education and learn, you know, some of those names um, is definitely, uh, you know, bewildering to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I we. We keep all of our training-based books and business-based books at the gym so that either um, our our employee, Andrew, can take them home or if we have interns and like, hey, I want to take this and read it. Absolutely. And I'm glad yeah, you said awesome. about asking about the the new hires, about what you're reading. That's one of our in, intern questions that we ask every intern is, what current book are you reading or what was the last book that you finished and what did you 
take away from that book that you yeah. can apply in the future. So not only did you just, you know, hopefully you're reading something, you don't have to always be reading something educational, but, you know, you could be reading something that is, um, you know, a little bit from an enjoyment standpoint, but hopefully you are reading something that you can take something away. Like I said, Brett Bartholomew, you may not exactly learn more about the nuts and bolts of training, but you're going to learn more about communication. And oh, yeah. that, that's that's important. If you can't tell me what you took away from that book, you just wasted however many hours you spent reading that right. book because you need yeah. to go reread it again. Right. Um, and that, and I I personally keep a highlighter with me on all the books that I read so that if I do open that book back up, I'm like, okay, well, here were some important segments of this either chapter or whatever. And yeah. I do the same thing. I'll I'll have a note card next to me while I while I'm reading, and I'll write down the page number on the note card, and then highlight whatever it is that I liked in the book. And then I'll put that note card in the book when I'm done reading it. So I know which page numbers, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed reading. That's good. All right. So one of the last things I just want to talk to you about is a little bit about, uh, powerlifting. I know you got a 2001 pound total at 242. Anybody knows anything about powerlifting. If you got a 2000 pound total, you're legit. That's, that's freaking incredible. Um, I guess just let the listeners know, uh, what meet you hit that at, uh, what it kind of took sacrifice wise to be able to hit that kind of big time total in the powerlifting community. And, um, you know, what, I guess the best way I can put this is what does that, um, what can you take away from that particular journey to get that total that, um, you might be able to recommend to the listeners that the, the valuable aspect of obtaining a big time goal, I'm, I'm sure, before you had that 2,001 pound total, it, it had to be, as you were getting closer, you had to say, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. Oh, yeah. what, what do I got to do to get this? So kind of let the listeners know what it takes to accomplish a feat like that. Yeah. When I first started powerlifting um, six years ago, I, I, the only goal I had was a 2,000 pound total because that was actually a, a good total back then. Now uh, there's so many freaks out there that a 2000 pound total might make you like a, a top 20 lifter. <laughs> so it's crazy to see how, how much the sport's grown, but you know, it's what it, I did. The, uh, us open is where I totaled 2001, uh, in wraps at 242. And then just to make sure, uh, it wasn't a fluke. I totaled 2006 at, uh, Reebok record breakers. Uh, I weighed in at 252. I didn't cut weight or anything like that. Um, so, it took, you know, over a decade of just never missing a day of training, whether it be for strongman, then shifting into to powerlifting. Um, it took traveling across the world, training with Dan Green for, for a year and a half, training with Jesse Burdick for a year and a half, training with Chris Duffin for, for a year and just learning and, and constantly showing up and, and training, trying to build that discipline, knowing that there's going to be ebbs and flows to everything there was a point in time where i was stuck at a 660 pound deadlift and it took me three years to do a 667 pound deadlift and just to understand like the amount of of work and diligence and discipline that it takes to to get to those goals is something that i've i've put in i learned from the military and something that i've i've you know built throughout my life is that discipline is, is everything. Discipline is what allows you to do the things that you love to do. And it makes life a little bit easier, uh, which is something that a lot of people find hard to grasp the idea that discipline, they would think that would make your life a little bit more constricted and it, it would make your life a little bit more pigeonholed. But the discipline has allowed me to uh, build multiple businesses, travel across the, the country and, and soon to get my PhD and, and, set these powerlifting goals and, and hit them and meet so many amazing lifters uh, along the way. Um, you know, that, that discipline's a lot of me, those things. And, and that's just something that I'll always take with me when it comes from, from strength athletics, because it's, it's hard, man. It's, there's days where you want to go to the gym and there's a lot more days where you don't want to go to the gym. And there's days where you're injured and you're struggling and you don't feel like you're making any progress. And then there's, there's some training cycles where, you know, everything you touch is, is gold. And, uh, those are very rare and, and you learn to appreciate the ups and the downs because that's just all part of the, the process. And that's all part of what you're trying to build up to. And, um, whether you ever hit your, your goal that you set for yourself is, is irrelevant to me. I think the idea that you gave it everything that you had and that you were willing to pursue a higher goal than you thought was possible. I think that's what builds the, the most character out of people. And I think that's what gives them the the greatest satisfaction to know that I gave it everything that I had 
and and that's what matters the most and that's something that I've always just disvalued because I I had this rare opportunity to to still be alive and I've served with a bunch of people that that aren't and every day is an important day to get better and, and to grow and, and that's something that um, the military has taught me that's something that that powerlifting has taught me that every day is a chance to get a little bit better and don't take those days for granted that's great I think that is a freaking great way to end this episode um, I, I hope people take a lot away you had a lot of great knowledge we're gonna um, make sure that we have all this on the show notes and everything so if people want to find out more about you your your supplements your gym everything that you offer for nutrition coaching wise um, they can get a hold of you and and be able to connect with you because like you said you've got a lot of good stuff in your back pocket that a lot of people don't have access to and I think you're a really good resource for people to be able to to be able to not only communicate with but just be able to take and apply to their training and um, you're obviously part of elite FTS and that that alone says a lot about you as a person um, Dave does not mess around with that um, he picks really good quality people and you're a great addition um so i appreciate you being on and uh, i look forward to connecting with the future man yeah same here man i appreciate you having me on thank you so much and uh, congratulations on your your gym opening back up man that's awesome all right thanks take care tony you too brandon thanks for listening to thirst for more podcast give us a follow on spotify itunes google and other streaming services Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T. Or you can give me a follow at B Smitley. That's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y. For more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, and we'll catch you at the next episode.